0: This is the You Can Learn Chinese podcast, part of the Seneca Network from Sup China. For everyone who's trying to learn Chinese or reaching for the next level, you came to the right place. I'm your host, Jared Turner, longtime resident of China, co-founder of the Mandarin Companion Graded Reader Series, and I've had it up to here with statements that make no sense without visual aid. My co-host is John Pazin, co-founder of Mandarin Companion, founder of Allset Learning, the Chinese Grammar Wiki, Sinosplice.com, And he once named his eraser Confidence, because it gets smaller with every mistake he makes. We recently participated in the National Chinese Language Conference, NCLC, in the United States. And the topics discussed provided quite a bit of insight into what is in store for the future of Chinese learning. Methods applied in schools typically trickle down to affect all learners. Spoiler alert, the future is bright. Guest interview is with Jonathan Becker, a college student who placed into his university's intermediate Chinese level after just four months of learning Chinese, all due to, yep, you guessed it, extensive reading. All this and more, let's get to it. Hey, guys, this is Jared Turner coming at you from Utah
1: in the United States. Hey, guys, my name is John Pasden. I am in Shanghai, China. How's everybody doing?
0: Uh John, great to see you. Hey, uh, we've got a review. Actually, it's a, an email we got from a listener. It was regards to the very last episode that we had, was, which was about Chinese food, how it can help your Chinese. So this came from Scott Lee. Now, Scott, he wrote quite a bit, and so I'm just going to summarize a little bit. Evidently, Scott, he lived in China for a while, and he fell in love with Chinese food. And really kind of fun stories, how he learned to uh, cook Chinese dishes. He had an ai from uh, uh, Sichuan, and uh, he learned a lot of Sichuan dishes. And when he moved back to the States, the United States... He continued to just kind of cook Chinese food, and he called often. Was in touch with his Chinese, i.e., back in in China on WeChat for you know advice. Uh, but anyway, uh, he just wanted to share uh, his story and his appreciation for a podcast about Chinese food because he's just one of those guys is really passionate about Chinese food. So Scott, we really appreciate you dropping us an email and uh, and sharing how that episode was impactful for you. And there's one story I'm going to share from his email. He says uh when he was back in the states i went to an asian market that had roast ducks hanging in the display and i was craving ducknecks so i decided to show off my chinese and i asked the chinese guy at the counter if they had any ducknecks he looked at me and asked me to speak in english i asked him in english if he had any ducknecks and he looked at me in the perfect unaccented english and said chinese people don't like to eat ducknecks <laughs> well that uh, is not I true that, that's that's not true that's true so we're gonna we're gonna back you up on that one scott uh, and thanks for dropping us an email, and uh, and we hope to uh, hear from other people, too, who have our reviews. Yeah, although, you know, you can't
1: really say Chinese people all like or all don't like anything, but um, I know plenty of people that like ducknecks. I'm
0: not oh, one yeah. of them, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, today we are going to have a little bit of a recap from something that happened recently. It was the National Chinese Language Conference. And so this happens every year in America. And of course, due to the COVID crisis, uh, it, it's usually been a big convention in person, but it was online this year. Uh, I had the opportunity to be at that convention uh, representing Manor Companion, and it was a wonderful experience. Got to meet and talk to a whole lot of teachers. But what we're going to talk about today a little bit are three main themes that I found. Uh, from the conference, there were many different speeches and a lot of breakout sessions and, of course, discussions with teachers. So we're going to hit on these three of them. I'm just going to tell you what they are first, and then we're going to kind of go through them one by one. So the first one is the concept of practicality. Is There's this focus on proficiency-based and real, authentic materials for learning Chinese. The second one was about online learning and about the impact of COVID on learning. I mean, a lot of people, we, we're not in classrooms these days, or if we are, it's kind of, you know, virtual classrooms. And three, a kind of the reform and the improvement of K through 12 Chinese education. And so that may not be applicable to everyone here, but this actually is something that does filter down through the whole Chinese educational pedagogy, right? Through, you know, it'll get down to you at some point. Yeah, so why are we doing this? Why do all of our listeners who just want to learn Chinese,
1: why do they care about some conference of a bunch of teachers? Well, the reason is, uh, and we've talked about this quite a few times uh, in different episodes, that um, the field of teaching Chinese is still young, and there are still problems. Like we've mentioned how a lot of uh, teachers or programs will kind of teach foreign learners as if they were a Chinese child, and a lot of those methods do not work well for adult foreign learners or even you know, young foreign learners. And so we're really encouraged to see some of the the focuses that that these teachers have now. like they're working hard to uh, improve the practicality, to improve the material, to make it more authentic, to make it more modern. And even if you're not doing one of these uh, classroom uh, you know courses, this will affect you because it's all one big ecosystem. And as all of the schools kind of upgrade, their curricula upgrade their material, it kind of has echo effects on everything else. So I am really interested to see what the teachers are doing. I was very heartened to see that it wasn't a bunch of like, how can we make textbooks more tech booky? Or like, how can we how can we <laughs> reduce fun activities and put more grammar drills into our class? Like it's not about that, right? It's about these mm-hmm. things that Jared just said. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about specifically what some of the teachers were saying and actually, Jared, before we review those themes, I wanted to take a quick look at the, the plenary sessions that kicked off the conference, because I think there are some interesting points in there. Oh, yeah, there were. So the first one was about innovating the traditional classroom, lessons learned from online instruction. So without knowing exactly what was said, uh, I can say that that is a is a very good way to kick off the, uh, the conference. Um, the Chinese teachers are working hard to you know, adapt under these unusual circumstances and improve the traditional class. So the second one though I thought was quite interesting, moving beyond novice level Chinese. So here's a quote from, from that little uh, summary. How do we move beyond the basics and spark both the interest and confidence needed for students to enter the intermediate and advanced range? How do we use authentic resources, discussion, and intentional skill building to achieve this aim? Like I love seeing that because So many times it's felt like teachers just didn't care about those questions, like especially uh, building the interest and the confidence. And so um, sometimes it does feel like the teachers like aren't working on these things. Like all they want to do is is, you know, cover the textbook. But, um, you know, that's not true. There are a lot of teachers that are working hard on this.
0: This goes back to something that I think we've definitely seen a shift in Chinese education over you know, whatever period of time. And I, I've, I mentioned this analogy before of a filter versus a pump, that a, a traditional mindset would have been more of like, hey, Chinese is hard, and we're going like, to weed out the people who are not serious about learning this language. And you know, you, they, people drop out because it's too hard. Instead, it's now a bit moving more towards a focus of like, how can we get everyone through this program? How can we get everyone to a, a, a good level of proficiency in Chinese? And that is quite heartening. Yeah, it's like the attitude before was, Chinese is hard, so the learner needs
1: to be equally hard. Uh, but instead, yeah. it's, it's now more like, well, maybe we could make the material better, more interesting, more relevant. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not necessarily going to be easy, but if it's so fascinating that you just can't stop, then it doesn't matter that it's difficult, right? And then the final plenary session was called Equity in Chinese Language Education. I was really interested to see this. Here's a quote. In March 2020, COVID-19 severely interrupted and disrupted entire education systems around the globe. As school systems addressed the pandemic, vast inequity issues were discovered. Students without access to the internet laptops or even the basic resources needed to engage in online learning so um, yeah it was just interesting to see this because uh, that's where it really got real I think for a lot of teachers Um, of course this is in the U.S. but uh, I've heard about these issues with uh, you know kids of my friends in the U.S. and um, it was just interesting to see uh, how the Chinese teachers were grappling with these same issues.
0: Yeah, I I've seen this uh, just in my own area, but yeah, it was it was very apparent that, frank, frankly, I mean, we kind of take you know the internet for granted, but we have to recognize that not everyone has access to high speed internet, or if they do, maybe it can only support like you know one video stream at a time at pretty bad resolution or bit rate. So these are some those are some very real issues that have been going along. Is that the more disadvantaged of the society have had a, a more adverse impact upon them uh, due to the COVID pandemic. And we've definitely seen this in, in education. But not just that, just in general. I mean, one, one common theme talking to these Chinese teachers is that, you know, oh, my, my students are behind. Well, everyone's behind. This is what I found: is this like everyone's behind, even even teachers who have found you know ways to kind of overcome or or like kind of deal with this. They're still the uh, students are behind where they would normally be if they were in a classroom. Yeah, totally. Everybody's behind all the time, so um... don't lose heart. Okay, so let's get onto these themes see, that we had pointed out earlier. So the first one we're talking about practicality. So this is maybe like having like practical materials, things that are really uh, focused to help the student and they can things that they can learn from in the classroom is focused on more like real and authentic type materials. Yeah,
1: so like one of them I saw, one of the breakout sessions is called Adopting Can Do's, College CFL Curriculum Articulation and Student-Centered Learning. All right, let's focus on the, the can-do thing. This is a pretty easy to understand. So the idea is when you have like a, a set of goals for what you're trying to accomplish, and in, um, in a Chinese course, it's not like they can read this book. It's more like they need to be able to do this. Can they do this? Because if they can do it, then we've achieved our goal. So this is a kind of proficiency measure. So you know, can do, it might start out really simple, like, you know, tell someone your name, ask them their name. Uh, and then it, it, it gets higher to things like, you know, ask for directions, order food from a Chinese restaurant. So um, can dos are great. Um, because they're they're vague enough to take into account like different learners and different environments, but they're specific enough that anyone can understand it. And you know, a student can look at this list of can do's and they can be like, "Oh yeah, I
0: couldn't do this before, and now I can." Like not perfectly, but I can do it. That's a great example and an idea here for anyone who's you know studying Chinese on their own outside of a program. You know, you may be thinking, "Oh, I my my goal is to go out and." pass the HSK test or pass some other Chinese proficiency test. Great. And and that may be well and fine, but can you do this? Can you do that? And sometimes it's like, it'd be good to make some of those own goals for yourself. And that provides a framework for you to think about your Chinese proficiency. You might be able to set a list of can-dos for you. Well
1: there are tons of lists out there already. Like when I was uh, when I was starting uh, All Set Learning back in 2010 and I knew I was going to have lots of different learners with different needs, one of the first things I did was get some of these can-do statements. Uh, you can find them in the ACTFL, A-C-T-F-L um, standards and you should be able to find them also in the SUFFER, the Common European Framework of Reference for Languages. So you can find these online and then rather than since there's a lot of them, rather than feeling like you have to cover them all, yeah, like like Jared was just saying, you can you can choose some ones to
0: focus on. Another thing I was seeing at the conference is this focus on authentic materials, so or real or authentic materials. Now this is a little bit of a double-edged sword. Now just for reference, when when they're talking about authentic materials, it's these are like books or text or movies or shows or something that are. F- Authentically Chinese, like they are created for Chinese-speaking people, Chinese audiences. So that's primarily where we're thinking about like authentic materials. So I, I this is once again I, a double-edged sword, okay? Because now you bring something that could be authentic into the classroom. Uh, it could be something that could hopefully catch a student's interest. It could be like the latest TV show. Like I know there is, uh, you know, China's Got Talent. They had their version of that, and that was really popular in China. And you know, some people really liked watching that. Or the most, the latest sitcom, or things like that. And some of these things really can spark interest and engage people. Right. It can be challenging for the teachers because
1: um, obviously you have to be aware of the level. You don't want to throw something super hard at at your class. Um, and so the the. The uh, the burden is kind of on the teacher to find materials that are real, authentic. You know, the target audience is Chinese, but actually, it's not that hard, and uh, beginners can understand it. So, rather than creating new materials or maybe just you know choosing the right textbook, they kind of have to filter through uh, authentic materials and find stuff that aligns with their other
0: uh, curriculum goals. But that again is the other the other side of the of the they have the other double edged sword on this one is that. They're authentic materials, <laughs> and they're they're frankly they're not easy. They they can be difficult and uh, very hard to understand and to comprehend for the majority of students who haven't achieved uh, a, a higher level of proficiency, and and so this is this is sometimes you know the, I, I've had discussions with many teachers about this. I've even had some discussions at the ACTFL conference uh, recently about this, is saying that okay these things can be fun, but are they comprehensible for your students? And, and are you introducing them at the right levels to the right age and everything of students? And, and that's, that's one of the, the challenges of this because I think anyone listening here who's been studying Chinese for any period of time can relate to a time where you're like, oh, yeah, I wanted to listen to this or I want to read this. And you open the book or you turn on the show or you listen to the song and you have zero clue what's going on. You can't read any characters or you have no idea what they're saying and you maybe can read some body language on the thing, or you can just pick out a character here and there, but you, it's just incomprehensible to you. Yeah, so those are the thorny questions
1: that the teachers have to figure out. How early can you introduce some of this material, and in what quantity? And to give you an example of something that actually does work, even at a low level, uh, on YouTube there's this one video, uh, I can find the link and share it in the show notes, there's this one video that is all about uh 你好, as it appears on different TV shows. So it's just like clip after clip of people in different Chinese dramas and movies just saying ni hao. And so it's... <laughs> that's, that's cool. It's authentic <laughs> material. Uh, and you'll see lots of different situations, lots of different people. Sometimes they add a few other words, which you might not necessarily understand. But just to see you know, this wide range of uh, ni hao application is pretty cool. And so obviously the whole course can't be like that, but
0: at least a little bit of it can. And I think uh, I missed that session, but I caught the tail end of another one where they're talking more about authentic materials. And and she was uh, talking about using graded readers and scaffolding people to a level of of, of comprehension till they're actually able to digest some of these authentic materials. So, I mean, it was in to see that. Um, another one, I believe they were talking about some specific activities. So even though the students may not be able to understand, you know, 70, 80% of what's going on in the show, they were trying to uh, identify words said, or they were trying to uh, maybe watch a show and describe it. So, you know, in their own words, what they think was going on. So there, there are some things that you can do with some authentic content, especially if it's like multimedia, it's visual, auto, audible, audible, things like that. And it's because, you know, if you don't know the characters, you just you know, don't know the characters. Uh, so it was interesting to see the different ways to uh, leverage and use that material. And those are some ideas for any of you with a tutor or, you know, you're studying on your own. Okay. So, so Jared, you just mentioned graded readers. I think you're
1: referring to learning Chinese language and culture through leveled reading. Uh, would you say that graded readers are authentic materials?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> hey. No. You got that one right. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not authentic materials. It, the number one, I actually gave a presentation. It was a vendor presentation for Man or Companion. And here's the key takeaway. I just said that authentic materials, by and large, are not appropriate for Chinese learners like you, you listener right now, because they're not written for you. <laughs> all right? That, that, that's the bottom line. They're not written for you. They are written for native speakers, and you are not a native speaker. So what, we, what you do need are materials that are written for you. Now, I swear it's like, a, whenever I say that, it, everyone's like, oh yeah, duh, it seems so obvious when you say it that way. But, um, you know, it, sometimes it, it takes that to convey the message. No, but that, that, that's
1: a fair point. Like, authentic materials, um, you need to have them in small chunks, you can't have too much of it at lower levels, and so graded readers serves a very different purpose that's totally different from authentic materials. All right, let's go back to, um, to the themes that we wanted to talk about. So the second one
0: was online learning, specifically related to COVID uh, teaching. This is a hot topic right now, of course. Now, first, you got to understand a lot of Chinese teachers, what what's going on right now. Is, I mean, obviously they're used to teaching in the classroom, but there's all these issues that are happening. Like, hey, I, if I'm in a classroom, I've got to wear a mask and people can't see my mouth. And, and just think about that, how often you, know, you are able to maybe identify what someone's saying uh, be, because you're able to look at their mouth. Uh, in fact, if you even listen to our last podcast, we had our interview with James Wong and, and he you know, has a severe hearing disability. And he's like, I usually used to reading people's mouths, but you know, I can't do that right now. It's really hard because everyone's wearing masks. So okay, you got issues like that. Uh, you also have teachers that are teaching students in class and teaching students online at the same time. And so it's really challenging managing these two different groups of students online and in person. You're kind of like double duty, really. And, and so there, there's a lot of this stuff. Uh, you know, and, and when you can't have someone all together, like how do you do these conversations over like a big group chat? And you know what it's like on a group chat. You've got like three, four people trying to speak to each other on one group chat. It doesn't really work. It gets kind of mushy and loudy loud pretty quick. Right. So there are a lot of uh, a lot of sessions things like, you know, meeting the interpersonal
1: communication challenge in the remote learning environment or another one, how to use interactive platforms to design activities for all three modes of communication. So the teachers, they're they're all over this issue. It's really hard. One of the things I keep hearing from all teachers is like, how do I keep the kids' attention? You know, the the younger they are, the more excited they are just to be um, allowed to use the computer for so long. But uh, <laughs> once, once they get a little bit older, uh, it's really hard to keep everybody's attention. So the teachers are really focused on that.
0: Now, I will say something about this is I think that this, like if we fast forward one year from now, the next Chinese language conference, whether it's in person or online, I don't think that this is going to be a big issue. Uh, I think what we're seeing at least now in the United States, uh, we're seeing cases go down, vaccinations are are you know, going up. And I think by this this next school year, we're pretty much going to see all students back in school. Whether or not they're wearing masks and everything, I don't know. But I think the online thing is, there's still going to people going to be doing that. I think now there's a, that that's to a degree, it's enhanced and it's never going to fully go back to the way it was. But it's not going to be a key issue like it is right now. And if the teachers can figure
1: out some, some cool new methods, um, some new materials, some new approaches that work really well for online learning, um, like a lot of the sessions were related to the flipped classroom approach. So you, uh, you study something on your own, then you go back and you talk to the teacher about it online. If they can figure out a lot of good stuff, then that's going to ripple throughout the community. And if you're one of these people that does online lessons with your, your Chinese teacher, then you can definitely also benefit from that. So... Um, I'm glad Jared is optimistic about not having to do uh, online lessons, you know, with the kids for too much longer. But uh, I think online learning is is definitely here to stay, and uh, mm-hmm. we all stand to be- and we all stand to benefit from uh, what the teachers are working out right now.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Now, John, another interesting takeaway I got from this wasn't just from the teachers; it was the vendors. So I, I know a lot of the other people in Chinese education in the in the in business have got to know a lot of them through these conferences over the years and we I saw something that I think you know you probably wouldn't be surprised to hear is that these uh, different companies that are focused more on online education and digital like uh, platforms and things like that are doing really well uh, and they're seeing a lot of uh, students flock to them and schools and teachers are using these different uh you know, online curriculum and support materials. And we have seen that a little bit at Manor Companion as well. We've just seen more people, you know, using eBooks and things like that.
1: Yeah, at All Set Learning, we have online lessons too. And we had a really good year last year, even though, you know, it was off to a rough start. So um, yeah, a lot of people are having lots of success with online learning. Um, You just got to find good material and good teachers to, to do online, people with a clue, and it can go really
0: well. Okay, so the third point uh, we brought up was about how there's kind of a focus on more of like a reform and improvement and expansion of kindergarten through 12th grade education here in the United States. Yeah, like one of
1: them was creating performance assessments aligned with proficiency for K through 12 learners. Like that kind of thing is not easy. And that's totally the kind of thing that the more traditional Chinese pedagogy has not focused on at all. Like what is proficiency for a kindergartner? Like, what should a kindergartner be able to say after a year of Chinese in kindergarten? Like, yeah, not easy stuff. And they're kind of starting from scratch because this didn't really exist before.
0: I think what I'm heartened to see uh, on this, John, is that, you know, if we rewind, you know, a couple decades ago, a lot of the Chinese education, from my perspective and understanding, was a bit more academic in nature, kind of more like, hey, this is the way Chinese should be taught. A bit more of a top-down approach, but you know, we fast forward to where we are now. We have uh, so many like these Chinese dual immersion programs all over the United States. Uh, the growth of people who are learning Chinese is just you know skyrocketed. Heck, anyone listening to this, you're learning Chinese or at least you're interested in doing so. And so, what we have now is we have so many more teachers who are experienced. They've applied previous thoughts and theories. And they've now starting to see what has worked, what maybe hasn't worked. They've developed some of their own methods, and they've have had successes in classrooms and with students learning. And so what we're seeing of that now is I I would think, uh, John, maybe my, what your perspective on this is a bit more of a little bottom up, right? Teachers out there in the trenches, coming back and now giving uh, examples and theories and ideas on how to improve education.
1: Well, traditionally, language learning has always been more theoretical. Like if you go back like not that far, like 100, 200 years, a lot of times what people would learn in the classroom was Latin. It was a dead language. And then going forward, you know, 50, 100 more years, um, people are focused on on living languages. But at that time, people didn't travel nearly as much. But now that the world has become so international, like it takes education a while to catch up. And so education is finally, you know, especially Chinese being a little bit behind the others. It's finally being like, oh, wait a minute, they're actually gonna use the language they learn. It's not just for like in school. Uh, It sounds obvious, but the the inertia of the, you know, the massive educational institution, uh, you know, machine, it takes a while to change it. So um, yeah, it is changing. And, like, like, one of the roundtable discussions was K-12 Chinese becoming a more commonly taught language. So, um, there's also, like, this, this hope and this optimism. Like, they're not just teaching Chinese in a vacuum because, you know, the school wants to offer it. Um, they're realizing that people really want to use it and that it's becoming more and more widespread. So, it's a practicality mixed with, like, a hope for the future of this language. It's becoming more and more international.
0: And that's great uh, because it gives us more opportunities to learn Chinese, to speak it. And, uh, you know, and when we are seeing this, we're seeing like you know, new textbooks, new platforms that are coming out. Even old ones are getting revamped uh, you know, to different degrees, of course. Uh, and we are seeing better methodology. We're seeing more forward thinking in education. And uh, John is something I'm, I'm really heartened by, too. Is that, you know, I was running this booth for Manor Companion, and I can, like, I remember the first time I went to one of these conferences, John, I was by myself, and I was trying to promote Manor Companion. We didn't have as many books as we do now, and I swear nobody had heard of us, not a single teacher, and I was trying to convince, you know, teachers, hey, like, your students will really benefit from these. Like it'll help them bring their Chinese together. They'll be better on tests. They'll be able to speak more. And they're kind of like, yeah, yeah. I, I remember there was actually just like a couple of teachers, uh, and they were all like non-Chinese Chinese teachers, you know. Uh, and and they had somehow heard about us. But I mean, fast forward now to the the, the NCLC conference. Uh, it was so heartening to see the number of teachers who had come in and been like, Manor Companion, I love your books. My students love them. They're reading them. They're doing so much better on their test. Uh, you know, one of the things I love hearing, John, is when they say they've had students who are going to give up on learning Chinese, and then they got a hold of one of our books and they read a book, and they realized, wow, I can do this, and they stuck with Chinese, and they're continuing now to learn Chinese. And, and so that is, to me, that, that's, that's a win, right? Uh, when someone's continue to learn the Chinese, learn the language because they can actually read a book in Chinese, and so I, we're getting so many more teachers seeing that, recognizing the importance of reading, uh, have are personally experiencing the impact that reading has on language development, and are now believing that oh yeah, actually giving a student something that's comprehensible at their level is better than giving them an authentic you know book, you know, Journey of the West or something in you know native Chinese.
1: Yeah, it's a tricky balance that has to be figured out. So um, I hope you're picking up the the optimism, which is the thread woven through through all these different themes. Um, sometimes there's a bit of negativity, like ah, HSK is so terrible, or ah, Chinese is so hard. But there's actually plenty of reasons to be optimistic, and the NCLC, you know, and the teachers—they're all a big part of that. Um, I want to I want to kind of finish up by reading this uh, this description of a pre-conference workshop because I thought it was pretty cool and it reflects this optimism that I'm talking about. So this is journey to proficiency, map the route, guide the tour, enjoy the ride. Plan the journey by picturing the final destination, advanced proficiency, stops along the way, assistance for your travelers and helpful tips. Focus on proficiency in your classes to ensure learners are motivated to stay on the language learning journey. Learn to plan, teach, assess, engage, and celebrate learner success to lead learners on the best trip ever to reach their desired destination: proficiency. Man, that is awesome!
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool stuff.
1: Okay, and that was written by uh, Jessica Hasi, president of Actful. Sorry, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name exactly, but anyway, um, you know, with an attitude like that, obviously, you, you hope that uh, your teacher is of that kind of. Uh, thinking when they're figuring out how to teach you Chinese because uh, that's the kind of attitude that, that helps students stay motivated and stick with it. Amen.
0: Okay, now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And today our sponsor is All Set Learning's Chinese
1: Grammar Wiki. Yeah, I haven't mentioned that enough recently.
0: And it's quite fitting to bring this up because we just had the National Chinese Language Conference. And I'm telling you, these Chinese teachers love the Chinese grammar wiki, and so will you. Yeah, I think a big part of that is
1: because it's totally free. It's all online. Teachers, students alike can uh, look up whatever grammar point they want. Uh, Just keep in mind, this is not a course. It's a resource. So anytime you have a question about Chinese grammar from intermediate to advanced, you can go to the wiki, you can search. Um, You can also easily just do a Google search know, chinese grammar wiki anything and you'll find it so um, if you're if you're ever struggling with grammar check it out if you're never struggling with grammar then you don't need it that's cool too
0: <laughs> you can find it at allsetlearning.com and find the link for chinese grammar wiki all right, now it's time for rants and raves. John, what do you got for us today? Do you have a rant or do you have a rave? Okay, I have a rave.
1: It is on this topic of uh, you know education and cool free resources, uh, which teachers love, of course. So what I wanted to promote was the CC Um CC stands for Creative Commons. So the CC Cedict is this uh, online open source project, which is just compiling all the you know definitions of Chinese words to make a dictionary. And if you've ever downloaded one of these like free Chinese dictionary apps, um, or some of the non-free ones, like uh, Pleco supports this dictionary too, um, then it is almost definitely powered by this Creative Commons dictionary. So it's, uh, it's available for free online, you can download it, you can also um, use the dictionary through uh, mdbg.net, uh, which is like the, the online dictionary that kind of hosts this uh, dictionary project. But dictionary projects like this that are done totally for free really help the community and helps everyone that's trying to contribute to the community. So uh, if you've never taken a look,
0: definitely check it out. Awesome. And where can we find that again?
1: Probably the easiest place is mdbg.net. Man, I got to say that name took me forever to learn. I'm like, I know.
0: We'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes. Save you some time there. Yeah. Okay, so Jared, what do you got? Rant or rave? All right, John, I I have I'm not really sure what to call this, uh, but it, I guess it's definitely not a rave. Uh, it's a, it's it's more. <laughs> I think it's kind of humorous and uh, an oddity. All right, so I, I, I don't remember how I came across this, but I found out that back uh, it, it, the Nintendo DS, so that was one of you know I guess it was the next stage of the Nintendo Game Boy, and they there was this game that was released called My Chinese Coach back in 2008. And I, I, I this caught my interest, and I'm like, jumped over and like, what? And I like, like, there was a like, there was this game back in 20, 2008 that was put out to help you learn Chinese on the Nintendo DS, and uh, I, I think it's quite humorous because uh, they, they this, the company that did this game, they had a number of other like uh, games like this that had my French coach, my Spanish coach. They also did things like Street Fighter Two, Tom and Jerry. Uh, jackass the game, <laughs> and they're like, Oh, well, we might as well teach people to learn Chinese. And so it seemed like it was one of an early predecessor of trying to gamify uh, Chinese language. Wait, what Street Fighter 2? That's Capcom. What do you mean? I, I know, but they developed that for the Nintendo DS. So Capcom had the game, but, oh, but they, they like, licensed like, it. Yeah. yeah. So and 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 honestly the story I, I kind of jumped down the rabbit hole on this and they they just found some sort of I guess person who had knew something about Chinese and so the the whole game is like you teach you how to write some characters and you listen to things and you learn some pinyin and some common phrases but you never really kind of combine them all together, and there's no opportunities really to speak and evaluate what you're, how you're speaking. And now, now, if you want to go even bizarre beyond this, like the company, funny enough, they were located here in Utah, and the 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 guy who started it, they had some. They after they released the game, they were like had some sort of employees were owed like over 2 million in wages. And then he was convicted of racketeering and spelt like a, a year or two in jail. And then like shut the company down. So weird, bizarre. It was like a very bizarre story. But I, I thought that was just kind of funny. My Chinese coach, one of those really early gamifying games uh, back in 2008 on the Nintendo DS. So I wouldn't recommend to go out there and get it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's I guess it's heartening to see how Chinese gamification has improved john (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks for i think
1: that's a rant thanks for your your rant okay rant
0: my chinese coach is
2: terrible don't get it today So my full name is Jonathan Becker, I'm 19, I'm a college freshman, and in March of 2020 I decided that I wanted to learn Chinese and went pedal to the metal and tested into my college's intermediate Chinese so I effectively skipped two semesters after just four months of studying and from day one was doing extensive reading.
0: I tell learners and teachers all the time how extensive reading can have such an impact on your Chinese, and Jonathan is the perfect example of
2: that. So I live in Laverne, California, and I'm going to Claremont McKenna College.
0: Jonathan's is not your average story, but what I love is how his story gives hope that even average people like us can have above-average experiences. Stay with us.
2: Why did you start learning Chinese? Being from California from age eight, I was studying Spanish. So by the time I was like freshman in high school, I started to think like, okay, yeah, I'm getting pretty good at Spanish now. What's my next language? Like, where can I go from here? I was leaning towards an Asian language and actually dismissed Chinese because I looked at the characters. I'm like, this is impossible. This language is just a bunch of like pictograms that make no sense. It's all true. It's all impossible. You can't learn. No, you can (laughs) learn Chinese, right? That's why, yeah, that's why the podcast is not called You Cannot Learn Chinese, right? (laughs) Yeah. John, wait, but I want to back
0: up a little bit. So you were doing Spanish. Yeah, it was.
2: Since eight years old, is that right? Yeah. I really hated it from the start. Like we had to take it at the school. Oh, okay. We were just doing regurgitation go memorize this vocab Mm. list, come back, spit it out on a test. And I really affected. I just didn't do it. And, it all kind of changed when we went into sixth grade because our teacher was a non-native Spanish speaker who was just extremely passionate. Mm. And that teacher really tried to make us use Spanish in a way we liked to. One of the moments for that where it clicked was like, I had a conversation with the teacher asking her if she liked like a certain movie or something that had just come out in Spanish. And I had a moment where I was like, wait a second, I just use Spanish for my own purposes. Wow. I could have asked her in English, but I used it in Spanish. And then from then on, I started to love it. I became the top student in the class.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. We recently interviewed Olalinga, on one of our podcasts and he talked about this classroom dialogue stuff it's contrived oh God, a lot yeah. you know and for it to be effective there needs to be something you don't know and there's a reason why you're using language to yes. exchange and so i mean that's a great example like you said i wanted to know about you know had you
2: see this one movie and boom there you go exactly but actually it was freshman year of high school and i said mm. what can i learn next and so i dismissed chinese saying it's impossible and i ended up going for korean Because, I don't know if you know, but Korean's alphabet is, like, very, very easy. Learn it in a day.
0: Yeah, it's phonetic.
2: Like, I continued doing that up until my senior year.
0: So you stuck with it, though.
2: I did, yeah. So my senior year, I was starting to just, like, really wonder what my future was in language learning and what I was going to do in college and all that. And I had considered Chinese but a really pivotal moment for me was we went on like a school trip where it was like a couple of days where we were going and doing like different activities. And mine was actually like a Spanish immersion one. And we had a teacher on it who was a new young teacher at my high school, but has spent like the last 10 years going hardcore in Chinese, has read the four classics. Wow. The moment that really gave me like aha moment was he was talking to some of the students in my class. And my girlfriend is Chinese. We went to the same high school and now are going to colleges right near each other. Hey. So watching Mr. Vincent talk to these Chinese students in Chinese and no cultural references was just like, wait a minute, this guy's white, just like me. This guy's American, just like me. But this guy knows Chinese. It was that moment where I started to really reconsider. And I had a really good heart-to-heart conversation with him, just asking, how does this work? How did you learn Chinese? And he gave me one of the best piece of advice, which is a sunk cost fallacy, if you've ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. The whole concept, you've wasted a bunch of money or time on something, then you might have this irrational urge to keep doing that just to justify like what you've already done.
0: The gambler's mentality.
2: I had this feeling, I've already spent three years learning Korean, I need to see it through to the end or all of that was a waste. And he basically told me, look, learning any difficult language to a good level is going to take a long time. But if you want to get good at Chinese or Korean, you need to pick one and focus on it. Because if you try to spread yourself too thin, you're going to end up like, you know, one of the dime a dozen polyglots on YouTube (laughs) who can say like basic greetings to like an A2 level in every language, but can't actually communicate. I think that there's such a toxic state of language learning YouTube where it's all a pissing contest for lack of a more eloquent way of expressing it. Like, it's a lot of, oh, yeah, I went to China and I shocked Chinese. Those videos like, watching the reaction of the waitress when the guy speaks perfect
0: Chinese.
2: Yeah, channels like that just, I think, are so cringy and so bad for people trying to learn Chinese not only because it sends this message that this low intermediate level is somehow the highest you can hope to attain, but also just this idea that it's like language is a spectacle, like you're learning it just to impress people. Whereas for me, it's not about shocking and awing somebody, it's about having a heart-to-heart conversation about cultural differences in their native tongue. And that was something that really struck me with this teacher is He knew the cultural references and he didn't need to boast, but he had the skills. So after talking to him, if I could, you know, snap my fingers and be fluent in one of them, what would I do? And for Korean, it's like, okay, yeah, I would maybe watch some like Korean drama or like read some Korean poetry. But Chinese, it's like, wait a second, there's so much I can do in Chinese. Like talking to my girlfriend's parents was something I really wanted to be able to do because even though she can Mm -hmm. speak fluent English, they can't speak English. And so I wanted to show them how much it mattered to me to be able to really have a heart-to-heart with them. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to learn Chinese. And I asked that teacher, okay, I've decided to learn Chinese. Like, what do I do? And he said, go out and buy a book called Hua Ma. (laughs) I was like, Hua Ma? What is that? And he's like, it's a book. It's very low level, very within your reach. You can do it. because. I had like a grasp of like 20 basic characters just from being in a really heavy Chinese environment. That's a good start. It's a good start. It's better than zero. Mr. Vincent just told me to get <laughs> Hua Ma and I got it. And a couple of months later, I started working through it with my girlfriend and basically just brute forcing it.
0: So uh, I, I want to get it straight. So this was in 2020, right?
2: Right. And Because of the goat rope visa situation, my girlfriend ended up living with us actually. And I went to her and I was like, look, I'm interested in learning Chinese now. Do you think that you'd be willing to help me? And of course, she was like, yes, of course, I would love to help you.
0: You know, you go to China, people say, oh, I want to learn Chinese. What's How should I do Like, get a Chinese girlfriend. Well, boom, there you go. <laughs> Chinese girlfriend. I want to
2: learn Chinese. I got a book. So what did you do? So first, to respond to the Chinese girlfriend thing, I've heard that so many times. And I feel like the record needs to be set. Having a Chinese girlfriend is not going to make you fluent in Chinese. Just like, let's say my girlfriend was a professional triathlete. I'm not suddenly going to be a triathlete just by watching her. And the really fortunate thing that I have is my girlfriend is extremely supportive and is very patient. That's great. So, right. Day one was, I'm going to try to read every word I can in this book. And she's going to tell me anything I don't know. And I'll write it down. I'll go and practice it later tonight. And so it started off at a snail's pace. But I think the reason that that might not work for anybody else, unless they're like very patient and want to just like go through it all ahead of time, is she was willing to tell me the words meaning over and over. And the great thing about your graded readers, in my opinion, compared to some of the others, and especially compared to the textbooks, is repetition is done very well. Because... There's only so many times that I could fail to read, like, jaw, right? You use jaw a lot. And so, like, there's only so many times I could fail to read that before it just stuck. Mm. And so I would try to read it. She would correct me. I would try to read it through, knowing all the words. Then she would read it, and I would listen. Mm. And I would hear, like, okay, yeah, that's how it should be said. Or, oh, that's the natural cadence. Mm. So we forced our way through this until after like a month of studying, I could read the whole thing cover to cover.
0: Wow. One of the things we usually discourage people like saying, oh, just brute force is because how much time it takes to like look up characters. But I always do give that caveat that it works better as guided reading. Yes. So you have someone reading with you. Yes. Someone who knows the language or at least has a higher proficiency than you and can help you through it. So you're not always spending all your time looking up in the dictionary, using Playco or whatever, right? Yeah. And so I can see right there, she's reading with you. You're getting the auditory input. You have your questions immediately answered, and you're not spending all this time with your nose in the dictionary.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So we just went through Huama, and by the end of the month, I could read it all. So then I was like, okay, Mr. Vincent, I can see why you told me to do this. I'm going to look for another Mandarin Companion reader. And so I did Just Friends.
0: No, no, it's Just Friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, right.
2: (laughs) Just Friends, question mark. And, like, the first time we went in that, seeing characters I had already mastered was, like, if you're at, like, a really big wedding and you spot, like, an old friend, Mm, you're like, okay, I don't know any of these people, but... Oh, hey, we went to high school (laughs) together, or, you know, we went to middle school together. I think for that, walking in already knew the majority, but then there was just like a little bit of or something that you needed in order to have a school story. That's cool. So how was your experience then going through your second book? It's a lot faster. Like, we're reading a chapter a day instead of a page a day. Wow. I was retaining the words, and it was at that point that I was like, okay, what can I do on my own after we've studied for the day? And I got My Teacher is a Martian, and that was the first graded reader I ever did on my own.
0: Oh, wow. So you buy your third book. Yeah. That's the gold standard. We're like independent reading. That's where you want to get.
2: Honestly, if I had a breakthrough moment, that was probably one of the biggest. I bought it, and I really like to read before bed. So I was like, why don't I just try to like look through this? And I read, I think there's like 10 or 11 chapters, and I read like six of them on the night I got it. Because I opened it, and I was like, wait a second. I know this. I know all these words. Wait. And I was flipping through and just reading at like an English reading pace. Wow. And I don't know. It felt magical in a way. Like that all of a sudden I retained all these words.
0: I know that magical feeling where you almost forget you're reading Chinese. Exactly.
2: Yeah. It's like, wait, I want to see what happens next. Let's flip the page.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. When it stops becoming work, now you're engaged in the story. Exactly. One overarching theme that I see in all these interviews that I've done for this podcast, and it mirrors your experience here, is that number one is you have a reason, right? Yes. And then that reason is motivating to you. That alone can even get you to fluency whatever really that means, even <laughs> if you're not using good study methods. exactly. But what what I've seen is that you combine that with good study methods like you know, and you're saying comprehensible input here, man, you can make
2: breakthroughs and you can make some serious progress exactly. in a short period of time. And I think you need to have tangible goals, right? You need to have yeah. victories unless you're like some kind of amazing like, monk language learner who can go and sit down with, I don't know, the three body problem and just like read it day after day until they get it. You need to have those small victories that give you positive encouragement. And that's what I got over and over early on.
0: I recall one of my interviews with Grant Brown, a high school Chinese teacher. And he says that one of the problems with Chinese is that unlike many of the other popular languages that people study, is that it takes a much longer time to be able to do anything with your language. Mm-hmm. because of the written nature and the tones and just how unfamiliar it is. And that's discouraging. Whereas, you know, Spanish, it doesn't have such a difficult learning curve. You can start doing stuff with it a lot earlier. Yeah. And if you come across words that you don't know, well, you could sound it out. Right, you know, right. In text. You can't do that in Chinese. Exactly. And so having the ability to have a win with like a graded reader, I mean, it makes a huge
2: boost of motivation to learn. It. Exactly. And so it was around that point that I started to think of what I wanted to do for college. I knew I wanted to do international relations for a major, but I wasn't sure in terms of the language I wanted to do. I was about 98% certain I wanted to do Chinese. And so it was around that time I actually talked to John Pasden. Oh, you got in touch with John. I didn't know I that. did, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I did. Just by like reaching out and being like, hey, I'm curious to do a consultation Mm -hmm. he told me you can easily go through this textbook and just like get ahead on your Chinese. Another big thing he kind of gave me a wake up call on was tones. One of the things that he said was, say the name of your country. And I was like, okay, yeah. So I know it's M-E-I-G-U-O. Well, it seems weird for it to end up. So it's probably like fourth tone at the end or something. And so I said like, May gua or something, and he's like, "No, like may yeah. gua," and it's, you know, it's very <laughs> counterintuitive to go down and then up like that, like may <laughs> gua, like you're confused or something at the end of the sentence. I didn't really heed that advice until later, but that was a big point where I was like, "Okay, I need to buckle down, get this textbook done, and work on my tones." And so I worked through the entirety of Integrated Chinese. Integrated Chinese one part one, that is. And then I did the placement test in July for school and found it not hard at all. And they did an interview component. And the teacher said, for studying so little, like you've come quite a long way, I think you should take the intermediate class. I was like, wait, what? Like, that's great. Intermediate class. (laughs) Like, that's not my level. But I worked through the integrated Chinese one part two textbook. It was around that point that I read Secret Garden, I read Prince and the Pauper, and put my reading on hold a little bit just so I could get ready for the class. And I was really worried for the class, thinking like, okay, these kids have had an entire year of studying, like, in a formal environment, whereas I've basically just, like, forced my way through, how is this going to go?
0: And how did it go?
2: I mean, I got an A in the class, so it was perfect. It was the right pace for me. It was, But the one thing that gave me a cutting edge was that reading, I think. like, I found that I was able to read just faster than most of the students. The teacher pulls out a dialogue, and I'm not having to stop and think about words. I'm just reading.
0: That reading speed is a big deal. Yes. That's
2: exciting to hear. Once the semester was coming to a close, I was starting to think, what am I going to do next with Chinese? And it was around that time I started to talk with Jonathan. He's in the Mandarin Companion group chat. Yeah, yeah. So and we do have that WeChat group. Plug for the WeChat group. The WeChat group is great. (laughs) I didn't know about it until like a couple of months ago. And it's very, very nice to have like a community of learners.
0: Jonathan Coveney is his name.
2: Exactly. So I started to talk to him and Mm -hmm. he is very, very driven.
0: He's hardcore. Exactly.
2: He's he's next level. You know, know, I told him my situation, told him I was thinking about studying during my winter break and kind of going intense. I told him, look, right now when I study my cards, I know them easily, but I don't know the tones. He said, you need to learn those tones. Like, you need to start failing a card if you don't know it. Like, this is talking about Anki, the spaced repetition software. Like, it's not a pass if you don't know the tones, just like If you were like learning English and couldn't identify the spelling or something, you're not going to say you know the word philosophy if you spell it with an F and three E's, right?
0: Yeah, that's a good analogy. And
2: initially I was like, oh my gosh, I know all these words, but now I don't know anything. But he Mm. said, buckle down, your brain will get it. And so uh, since then, I've been going very intense on that. And in the meantime, I read both parts of Great Expectations by myself. Oh, fantastic. And breezed through it because I not only had the vocabulary that I had accumulated since I was reading the level one, but also I had all the vocabulary that I had from Breakthrough and Level One because yeah. so much of it is reused.
0: Yeah, it's just, it all stacks on top of each other.
2: Yeah, so since then I've been going very, very intense. Jonathan has helped me a lot to kind of plan and see. What the trajectory of my learning can be. And so nowadays I'm going through like a 1000 character reader. That's great. Yeah, it Fantastic. feels very rewarding.
0: You know, I, something to touch on here, you reminds me of an interview we had done in early 2020 with Chris Max. He's a famous YouTuber, but, and he shared a story of how similar to you, he got some real honest feedback from a teacher saying, Hey, you're sounding good, you're, you're making progress. But your tones, they're just—they're not good. Yeah. And if you ever really want to sound like a good Chinese speaker, you need to work on the tones. And so he stopped studying for like two months and only worked on tones. Yeah. That's it until he felt like he, all right, I feel like I've got these much better now, and and then he moved on.
2: Yeah. And honestly, I think that part of the problem with so much of America thinking of Chinese as an impossible language is that teachers don't feel that they can correct students on tones enough because they don't want to discourage them. Mm -hmm. At least for my college, I'm fairly certain that Chinese has the lowest amount of students that take it and then come back.
0: So it has a high dropout rate. I talk to teachers about this and this happens everywhere because Chinese is a difficult language. And unfortunately, there's been Chinese teachers, they think of it like a, Chinese as a filter. They sift out the people who aren't serious. But it's really different when you get teachers in there with a different mindset when they try to think about how do we help people get through? exactly, And how can we get people wins? And Graded readers is an excellent tool for that. I've talked to teachers who've been using these. Their dropout rate has just reduced.
2: Yeah. Oh, I didn't mention I ended up... Changing now, I'm a dual major with international oh, yeah. relations and in Chinese. Woo! So hey, there they you converted are. me. <laughs> converted you. <yeah.
0: laughs> and Jonathan, just for reference, how long has it been? Right from this time of this recording, right now, from when you started learning Chinese, it's been nine months. Nine months. So there you go. So can you learn Chinese in nine months? You can get a good solid base, and that sounds like what you've got.
2: Yeah, exactly. You can get fluent in what you have.
0: So Jonathan, tell me, what do you think are like kind of your next steps in Chinese and pursuing your educational goals?
2: So nowadays I'm going just very intense, like the Jonathan Coveney method of pedal to the metal, (laughs) no break, but lots of fun. So every day I'm reading articles, I'm writing like either an essay or a diary entry in Chinese, having conversations, going through graded readers. So... I'm really trying to not only improve my tones, but also just boost my fluency in what I know and expand it to new words. Hopefully, uh, the pandemic can end soon and I can go to China and just like talk to people, common people going about their day. What's life like, right? Like, I think that's the only way to truly understand a culture or a society is by talking to the people in it.
0: And so, Jonathan, what advice would you give to someone who's starting to learn Chinese right now?
2: I think very much focus on what you want to do. If you focus on the practical uses of what you're learning and kind of structure it around that, you have much more opportunities to have small victories. So if you want to go and talk about food in Chinese, go learn the names of the foods you like. Don't just memorize what you think you should know. Memorize what you actually want to use. And I think that that has allowed me to stay very motivated and to see constant room for improvement and places where I can learn new vocabulary because there's always something else to talk about in Chinese. What can you learn in Chinese today and be able to like talk about better today? Then there's infinite opportunities for motivation.
0: Well, Jonathan, I think this has been really cool to hear your story and it's a testament to, hey, you can learn Chinese.
2: (laughs) Thank you for having me
0: you have been listening to the you can learn chinese podcast help us spread the word by sharing this with your friends classmates teachers cousins runner hiker traveler farmer gymnast cinematographer statistician and that one guy named jake you can subscribe in itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and please write us a review so we know how we're doing you can find us on facebook and at mandarincompanion.com apologies to john cena we just ran out of time The You Can Learn Chinese podcast is produced by myself, Jared Turner, and our editor is Kaiser Guo at SupChina, and interview editor is James Harper with Filter Productions. I'd like to thank our guest, Jonathan Becker, and of course, thanks to my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, John Paston. See you next time.